Thank you so much for listening to this podcast of our weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Brighton area, I want to invite you to come and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. I pray you find this message inspiring and check back for future installments. Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, grace be yours and peace from Jesus Christ our Lord. We gather today around uh, God's Word and in a moment of reflection today. Uh, Today is the final day in our series uh, we've called Sunday School Revisited. We've looked at uh, many of these classic stories we many of us learned in Sunday School, and we've been mining them for new inspiration. Uh, We looked at, of course, Noah and the ark. We looked at Samson and his encounter with Delilah. We looked at at uh, David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den. Last week, we looked at that beautiful story of Jesus healing the paralytic, lowered by his friends through the roof of Jesus' home. Today, uh, we turn to our second and final uh, episode from the New Testament. This was one of the first suggestions that came in, and I have to admit it, it has been rolling around in the back of my mind Uh, as a possibility for this series since I thought of the series uh, last summer when I planned out my preaching series for the year. And uh, any any, uh, story in the Bible that has its own kids' song is probably worthy of being included in Sunday School Revisited. And so today, we are taking a look at the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Yep, today is Zacchaeus, the wee little man. I don't know if you know that story. Maybe you're humming it to yourself now. Uh, Maybe you're trying to remember it. You should look it up on YouTube if you can't quite remember it. It's quite the song. Now, as we dig into this story, as we have all of these stories, we've looked at some of the characters involved and learned a little bit about who they were. But just like last week, Jesus needs no introduction, of course. But... Let's get to know a little bit about our wee little friend Zacchaeus, shall we? 
you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to that beautiful passage of uh, Luke chapter 19 that Jenny read so beautifully for us. And we'll dig into a little bit of this. Zacchaeus, you see, uh, Jesus encounters him while he's on his way to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus wanders uh, nomadically with his disciples and is followed by crowds and and goes across seas and, and crosses rivers, does all of these things, right? But eventually he begins to make a movement toward Jerusalem, and we all know why he's going there. He's heading to Jerusalem so that he may enter triumphantly, that he may break bread with his disciples at the Last Supper, that he would be crucified and died for our sins on the cross, that he would be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven, right? Jesus is on his way with an appointment for destiny in Jerusalem, and it's on his way to Jerusalem for this final and fateful encounter with destiny that Jesus meets Zacchaeus in Luke's Uh, gospel, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem is later on in this chapter, just one story down from Zacchaeus. One parable separates the story we encounter today from Jesus entering Jerusalem for that fateful week of teaching and redeeming. So that positions this encounter with us uh, within the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He had evidently not only heard of Jesus, that is Zacchaeus, had, not, had evidently not only heard of Jesus, which is to say that Jesus was famous enough in Zacchaeus' time to have been heard of, right? This was before the days of Facebook and Twitter. This was the days before you could Google anything. Uh, and yet Zacchaeus had heard of this Jewish rabbi who had been wandering, teaching the masses and healing those who were sick. So Zacchaeus had evidently heard of Jesus, but not only heard of him, but had learned that he was coming to town, meaning there were people who were moving ahead of Jesus to say he's on his way, he's coming. And this, of course, prompts Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, though, is is not just a tax collector. Now, if you've been paying attention in the Gospels uh, very long, you'll notice that tax collector is kind of shorthand for worst, awful, most evil sinner around, right? Uh, Tax collector is kind of that shorthand for evil in Jesus' day. If you're a tax collector, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. You're just this writhing, wretched betrayer of your people. Now, Not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he is said to be the chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. Now, that might reserve him a special place in hell, right? That that in the minds of the people, this guy is an extortioner. This guy is someone who uses the brute force of the Roman Empire and his position as as an official under that corrupt system to basically wring money out of even the poorest among them. And he's a Jew to spite it. So he's also, a, he's also a, a betrayer of his own people. He's a chief tax collector. He's the worst of the worst, in other words. Now, likely a byproduct of his profession as the chief tax collector, the text is also clear when it says a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh Uh-oh. 
He was rich. Now, in addition to being a chief tax collector and rich, Zacchaeus, of course, is also famously short. We don't know how short. The text doesn't tell us, right? Our song suggests that he's a wee little man. That might be the Irish uh, coming out in Zacchaeus, perhaps, right? The wee little man. But he's small in stature. He is short, and therefore he cannot see over the crowds, which prompts him to climb the tree. Now, can you all remember what kind of tree Zacchaeus climbed? Maybe if your Bibles are open, you can cheat and you can look and see what the translators tell us the tree is, right? It says famously that he climbs a sycamore tree. Well, have you ever looked up a sycamore tree? They tend to be quite tall and somewhat hard, I would imagine, to climb, especially for a wee little man like Zacchaeus. So I started looking into it more, and it turns out that the, that the tree that he climbed is not, in fact, what we would call a sycamore tree, but the Greek happens to sound an awful lot like a sycamore tree, and what the word in Greek actually means is not sycamore, but a fig tree, which were plentiful in Jesus' day. They were the fruit of the poor. The tax collector, the rich man, climbs the source of the poor person's food so that he can catch a glimpse of Jesus in this fig tree. Now, I want to unpack this story a little bit about our wee little tax collector and what we find. What we find is a part of this story, his encounter with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And the first thing I want to point out to us screams at us from verse 3. From verse 3, when it says, he was trying to see who Jesus was. It says in verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd and his short stature, he could not see him, so he climbs the tree. Okay? But he climbs the tree because he was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, you'll remember from last week, remember... From last week, Jesus, seeing their faith, responds to the paralytic who is lowered through his roof. So seeing is not an insignificant thing, but he was trying to see who Jesus was. Note that he wasn't trying to get close to Jesus. He wasn't trying to hear Jesus' teaching. He wasn't wanting to particularly be healed from anything that he could point to. He wasn't paralyzed. He wasn't a leper. He wasn't blind. He wasn't lame. He was just a rich chief tax collector who happened to be short. I don't know if Jesus offered to help him with that or not. But he climbs the tree to see who Jesus was. Now, unlike the others, unlike the others in the gospel, Zacchaeus is not seeking the things that people normally sought about Jesus, to be healed, to hear his teaching, to be fed even. He doesn't need any of that. Remember, he's rich. He's only trying to see who Jesus was. The key, though, here is that he was moved by something, right? Maybe it was something he heard about Jesus. Maybe it was something that someone said, but he wasn't coming with a traditional need, right? 
He wasn't longing to be healed. He wasn't looking for a handout. He wasn't uh, listening for a word. He had everything he needed. He would have been comfortable in his richness and in his position of power. But something was moving in our friend Zacchaeus that prompted him to want to see who this Jesus was. Now, to put that in theological terms, I'd like to suggest that that movement, that, that, that impulse that Zacchaeus had to see who Jesus was is something we in the theological world would call provenient grace. That is the Spirit of God moving on someone before they had received the truth of who Jesus is for themselves as Lord and Savior. This provenient grace, this grace offered to all of us, is the prompting that our spirit responds to. It's that offering of grace to everyone, including our wee tax collector. Now, like provenient grace, seeing for Zacchaeus is not going to be enough. Provenient grace isn't enough. It is the prompting of God. It is the offering of grace to us. But we must respond. Just seeing Jesus is never going to be enough, verse Zacchaeus. He's never going to truly understand who Jesus is by simply seeing him from afar, aloft in a tree. So often, so often, we are simply looking for a glimpse We're wanting to observe from a distance. Honestly, that has been our reality for the last three and a half months as we have had to worship from afar as you have connected with us. I have connected with so many people who are are, uh, thriving under the leadership of our ministry here at the church who have never set foot in this church who are not members, who have not, were not connected with us before the pandemic, and, and yet they are feeding off of the spirit that is present in this place, that is present in the hearts of each of you. They are being fueled and drawn by provenient grace into God's, into God's life in Christ, right? But so often we want to just catch a glimpse. We want to see from afar. You might be in your recliner right now, with my bald head up on your big screen TV, kicking back, enjoying your provenient grace from a distance, just wanting to catch a little bit of worship. Maybe you crack open the Bible once in a while, you know, when it's there, when you trip over it, when someone suggests it. Maybe you'll say the occasional prayer, especially if something's going wrong and you feel out of control and you need to come to God. And those are all fine. Those are all fine, but we want to catch that glimpse. We want, to, we want to see Jesus from afar. We don't want to actually have to invest in any relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We cannot be satisfied, you see. We cannot settle for that distant glimpse of Jesus. We need a full-fledged encounter. If there's one thing watching the riots in the streets and the looting around and the tearing down of statues and the chaos and everything and the, the tension building over mask wearing and, and, and staying at home and, and why can't we do what we want to do and what is with this world and everything's going to hell in a handbasket. When it comes to all of that, gosh, we need more than just a glimpse of Jesus, don't we? 
We need a full-fledged encounter, each and every one of us, this society as a whole. But it starts with you and it starts with me having a full-fledged, all-out encounter with the risen Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Zacchaeus is trying to catch a glimpse, but what he needs is a face-to-face, full-fledged encounter with Jesus Christ. Well, he's going to get it, right? He's going to get it. And just in one verse, verse 5, when Jesus came to pass by that way, right? When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him, right? He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry and come down. Now, while Zacchaeus is waiting for a glimpse of Jesus, while he's up in that tree hoping to catch a glimpse of the Savior of the world as he passes by, Jesus goes right to him, looks up in that tree, sees him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. Jesus, you see, calls him by name. Just because the prevenient grace of God is offered to everyone doesn't mean it's not offered specifically to you and to me. Jesus knows your name, whoever you are, wherever you are. Hearing this message, Jesus knows your name and is calling you to come out of that tree. Don't settle for the glimpse. And then, of course, in... in, uh, typical uh, Jesus fashion. I I find this hilarious. Jesus invites himself over to stay, right? He doesn't ask Zacchaeus, can I come stay with you, right? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry down and hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Now there's a beautiful picture, uh, a beautiful stained glass on the way out of our south entrance here. Uh, It's a uh, a famous image that's been recreated in many forms. We even use it in our pews when we're here, if you've ever noticed. There's a little trifold pamphlet in the pew back. What's next? Jesus knocking, what's next? It's a picture of Jesus knocking on a door, and it's called Jesus knocking at heart's door. It's an image taken from the book of Revelation. Jesus is standing outside your heart, knocking on the door. But notice in every depiction, you go Google it. Every depiction of Jesus knocking at heart's door, there is no door handle on Jesus' side of the door. You see, Jesus comes knocking at the heart's door of Zacchaeus. He comes knocking at his heart's door. That is provenient grace Longing to become justifying grace. What's the difference, you might ask? What's the difference between provenient grace and justifying grace? Well, that's just a fancy way of saying God's offered the grace to you. Are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to receive the life that God intends for you? Are you ready to receive the forgiveness that Christ has made possible for you? Are you ready to open heart's door and let Jesus come in? That's justifying grace when we do that. You see, Jesus comes to the bottom of that tree and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I'm staying at your house today. I'm knocking at your heart's door. 
Will you open it? Will you be open to a full-fledged encounter with me, Zacchaeus, or are you going to settle for a distant glimpse? Well, Zacchaeus receives his justifying grace. He receives the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we know this because by verse 6, you'll see, so he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Are you happy to welcome Christ at your heart's door? All who saw it began to grumble, right? Zacchaeus receives his justifying grace by verse 6. He hurries down and he is happy to welcome him. You see, this isn't just happy like, oh, I'm happy today. It's been a good day. I found a dollar on the street or I got a discount on something at the grocery store or, you know, I'm, I'm eating my donut today and that feels really good. I'm happy. That's not what happy means. He hurried down and was happy to welcome him. The Greek word here is the same Greek word that Matthew chooses to describe the experience of the wise men when they see the star they had followed for two years rest over the place where Jesus was. Imagine that. You've been journeying for two long years, longing to meet the king of the Jews. You observed his star at its rising and you have traveled far, far distance to meet this king. And the sign of his coming has stopped and you are happy. You rejoice, it says. It's also the way the angel greets Mary. When an angel comes and says, greetings, favored one. It's the same word used here as happy. You see, Zacchaeus was as blessed as Mary was to receive the word that she would bear the Son, the Savior of the world. Zacchaeus was rejoiced as much as the wise men who journeyed two long years to meet the king of the Jews. Zacchaeus was happy to welcome him. Well, we've got provenient grace. We've got justifying grace. But then there's one final aspect here that I want to look at, and that is Zacchaeus's response. Zacchaeus's response, and I would characterize this as fruit worthy of repentance. You've heard it in the prayer today, if you were paying attention to the prayer of confession we used. It's also a part of Matthew's gospel when John, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is talking about repentance, right? John comes preaching repentance and he says in verse 3, 8, he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He's talking to these Pharisees who are coming out. Verse 8, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. Zacchaeus' response is exactly what John calls for, fruit worthy of repentance. You see, Zacchaeus, he begins with generosity, right? He starts with generosity. Look at his response. He says, uh, stood there, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. This is no sort of couple of mites worth of, of riches. Remember, at the beginning of this story, he's the chief tax collector and 
He is rich. It is just in a chapter or two before that Jesus encounters the rich young ruler who follows the law to the letter, except he will not abandon his wealth to follow Jesus. Here is Zacchaeus saying, half of my possessions I will give away to the poor. He begins with generosity because you see, when you receive the one true gift of life through that profound, full-fledged encounter with Jesus Christ, when you receive that new life, our response is generosity. Zacchaeus' response begins with generosity. He, he pledges to share his riches. But Zacchaeus goes one step further into that fruit worthy of repentance. Zacchaeus commits to making it right. It's not enough that he says, I'm a sinner. It's, I'm a sinner and I have sinned against people and therefore I'm going to go and make it right. I'm going to repent I'm going to turn from my ways and I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to run full-fledged into the arms of the Almighty. And I'm going to do it by, as he exclaims in verse 9b, before that he says, look, I'm going to give half my possessions away to the Lord, verse 8, and, I will, uh, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Four times as much. I took a penny from you, you're getting four more. I took a dollar from you, you're getting four more. I extorted a hundred dollars from you, you're getting four more. I will repay four times what I took. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. That seems like an interesting number, right? Four times, what would have inspired that? Well, as it turns out, if you look back in the law of restitution... In Exodus 22.1, the Jewish law calls for a repayment of four times. Zacchaeus is saying, I will repent. I'm going to turn from my ways and not just say I'm sorry, but I'm going to make it right. I'm going to repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, remember back at the beginning of the message, I shared with you the insight that uh, it wasn't, in fact, the sycamore tree, but a fig tree that he climbed. That's maybe a, an insignificant sounding fact. Might not seem like it means much what kind of tree he climbed. Who cares? But actually, there's a wordplay that we miss when we don't know the original language and when we mistake this tree for a sycamore tree, because it's actually the fig tree. And the, the word used here in the Greek for the fig tree has the same Greek root as the word defraud here in this verse. I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, it is the same root, meaning the fig tree and this word defraud are meant to be connected through this play on words. The, the word translated defraud in the New Revised Standard Version here technically means fig informer. Isn't that funny? Fig informer. So we have fig tree. He climbs a fig tree, right? And he says, if I've been a fig informer, I'm going to make it right. Right? What it means is using insider information to defraud people. That's what fig informer is meant to imply. 
using that insider information to defraud, using his position as the chief tax collector to defraud the people who have no recourse in the Roman society. Now, curious about this connection of words. Why would there be a connection there between fig tree and fig informer, the tree he climbs and the act he's repenting here and wishes to make right? Well, for that, you have to understand how the gospel, particularly Luke, uses the fig tree as a symbol for repentance, as a symbol for salvation, because you see, when we are to bear good fruit, when we bear good fruit, it's evidence that our heart is in line with God, that we have been submitted to God Almighty through Jesus Christ our Lord. That it's through our faith that we produce fruit. And the fig is often seen as a, an allusion to the fruit we produce in a faithful life. And so he goes from a fig tree climbing, fig informing, insider defrauder, to a faithful fruit born from the sturdy tree of Christ. You see, Jesus picks a fig informer from the tree and transforms it into fruit worthy of repentance. Look back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, we have that illusion to... Uh, Bear fruit worthy of repentance in chapter 3, verse 8. In chapter 3, verse 9, he goes on to say, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children to Abraham. Now look at the way the story ends. Jesus' declaration over the newly repentant, generous, making it right Zacchaeus. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. That fruit worthy of repentance has become a true son of Abraham. Now it's important to recognize that through Christ, through the offering of provenient grace, when we receive the new life in Christ, anyone can become an inheritor, a son of Abraham an inheritor of the promise to God to reconcile to the world. So what, you might say? So what about our wee little man and his encounter with Jesus? It is important for us to remember that God is able. God is able through a profound and full-fledged encounter with Jesus Christ to pick the rotten fruit of a corrupt, selfish, tax-collecting sinner or you or me from a tree and transform him into good fruit worthy of repentance, welcomed into the kingdom and ready, ready to change the world. You see, God could do it through Christ with Zacchaeus. God can do it through you. And God can do it through me. God's provenient grace is there. Jesus is at your heart's door knocking. 
And the good news is that if God can do it for Zacchaeus, God can do it with you. Will you allow God to do it with you? Come down, for I'm staying at your house today. Will you open the door? I did. And it changed everything. Amen. Are you ready for your homework? Today is going to be a unique homework time. We have uh, frequently made a practice of giving you some sort of assignment, some way of applying what we've just talked about to your everyday life. We're not just about the theoretical here at Brighton United Methodist Church. We want to be able to put this into practice. And so I want to challenge you to do your Thirsty 30. That's the first step. Thirsty 30, remember, is 10 minutes of Bible reading, 10 minutes of prayer, and 10 minutes of worship. Okay, 30 minutes to the Lord. If you're not doing anything, do something. If you're not doing 30 yet, get to 30. If you've been doing 30 for a while, why don't you try doing a little bit more? That 30 is a baseline. See if you can get there. See if you can stay there. See if you can get past there. If you can, do that thirsty 30 each and every day, 30 minutes to the Lord, and see if it doesn't make a profound difference in your life. But today, as we round out my last Sunday of my most recent appointment year, and we look ahead to a new year beginning next Sunday, I thought it would be very appropriate for us, especially given the subject of our conversation today about Zacchaeus, our wee little friend. There might be someone watching this video right now. There may be somebody who's been tuning in to our virtual worship now for a few weeks, and you've been wondering about this Jesus thing, and you're not sure about this bald guy in the robe, and what is he doing, and does it really apply to me? I want to invite you to search your heart, to sense that provenient grace of God moving in your life, that offering of grace right there. I want you to listen for that soft and gentle knock of Jesus at the door of your heart. And I want to invite you to respond. I want to invite you, if that's you, if you have never given your life to Christ and you feel moved in this moment, I want to invite you to, to get up out of your recliner, get off your couch. I want you to get onto your knees if you can. If not, just stand there, put your hand over your heart. And I want you to pray with me. I want you to welcome Christ into your life. I want you to say yes to that provenient grace that it would be transformed in you into a new life, an eternal life in Christ Jesus. Will you come down from that tree? Will you welcome Christ into the home of your heart? If you haven't, I want you to pray with me in a moment. If you have, I want you to rededicate yourself right now. Even if you feel like you've been really dedicated already and you've been in your word and you've been praying every day and you've been worshiping as often as you can, even if that's you, I want you to rededicate yourself even more to receiving that grace of God that it might transform you even more. Okay? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come before you, sinners who have fallen short of your glory. 
Lord, we come before you, those who have received and tasted of your gift of grace, and those who long for the parching of our thirst, the longing of our hearts to be fulfilled. Lord, we are ready to take a leap with you. And so those who are within the sound of my voice, we receive your gift of grace. We acknowledge our need to confess our sin and repent, to turn and embrace the new life that you so freely offer through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do turn, we do embrace, we do repent, and we long to be transformed. Transform us, Lord, into the new creation you call us to be. Set us ablaze with your Holy Spirit that all who come to know us would come to know you. We pray these things in the mighty and the powerful and the precious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to thank you for listening to this weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Denver area, I want to invite you to come by and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. Remember, you are loved.